today it's all about that first encounter. When you meet a band, an artist, a director, a comic book talent, where and when you encounter their work is key to how you interpret and how you form your relationship, your bond, your opinion of that talent. Today we talk about when did you meet? Where did you meet? I discuss two giants in the comics industry and when exactly I was fortunate enough to encounter their work and how I was able to grow with both of their incredible careers. You've all had somebody somewhere that you've encountered and we've all encountered artists at different times in different places. And so today we start to work it all out in the first of a new series. In addition, we discuss the comic book and collectible marketplace. There is so much going on. The grounds are shifting. What's in, what's out. We break it all down on an all new episode of Observations. Welcome everybody to another edition of Observations. I am Rob Leifeld, your host of this podcast. We gather here uh, on Observations to discuss comic books, comic book characters, comic book movies, comic book uh, streaming series, cartoons. Occasionally we work in some video games, some toys, but if that's your passion, then we have a connection because that's been my passion since I was seven years old, pulling these comics off the spinner rack. I love to talk comics. I love to talk about comics. I love to talk about everything that I've experienced in comics as a fan and as a professional. So that packs together almost like 46 years worth of stuff. And so that's what I share here on the regular. Today, we have a really great topic because it's going to be about what's happening now. We have two topics. The first is going to be what's happening now. And then the second is a kind of a new series uh, that, that we're going to discuss, which is about our first encounters. Cause everybody's had a first encounter. Your first encounter with a character or a talent may have come much further down the road than mine did, or your friends did, or somebody else. And this first encounter gives me a chance to talk about a series that is long forgotten, but gave me two awesome first encounters. And I can't wait to share those with you. First though, starting off, on today's show, on today's episode, often when I speak about um, comics and the stuff that, that that I truly love, I am waxing nostalgic, as many of you have said, about uh, milestones that I experienced in the past. I've flipped it on you often and many times and told you that they're milestones for a reason. They're, they're called the classics because they are classic celebrated works of art. I Wanted to share this in a, a, a tweet. <laughs> in a tweet. I wanted to share this in a tweet a couple weeks back where I showed uh, seminal work by Daredevil by Frank Miller, the X-Men by John Byrne, and some Avengers by George Perez. And I said, these, this isn't nostalgia. These are are, you know, gold standards. They're they're milestones in the business. They're as important, those runs are as important as the Godfather, Star Wars, you know. Uh, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, they're, they're that big in terms of, of impact. And and clearly, you know, you can keep going down filmographies and you can say, well, what about, you know, Jurassic Park, which is a big deal. And what about, you know, Taxi Driver? And what about Boogie Nights? And what about uh, Pulp Fiction? Everything has an echo. Everything has a mirror. So yeah, there's more to life than Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Godfather. But those three, they're just not run-of-the-mill nostalgic runs. They are gold standards, 
repeatedly brought back to press in deluxe hardcover editions, uh, softcover editions, mini editions, big giant artist editions. They continue to go back to press with the same runs because they are celebrated. And they're celebrated for a reason because they're a mark of excellence. So we've covered this in the past. And a lot of people are like, you don't talk about enough about the comics that are out now. And I'm trying to dance and, uh, you know, with, with several different eras, because clearly I, my, my youngest version of my comic book self loves the 1970s stuff. And I hold it in the highest regard. The eighties the were, uh, a mixed bag for me. Uh, the early eighties were brilliant. The late eighties had some sparks, which were m- majorly from DC comics who had really turned the corner. And they did it as I've covered many times with Marvel talent, Frank Miller, John Byrne, these guys crossed the street, George Perez, and made huge impact. The 90s, it's really exciting. It was a new spark. It's my peer group, and there were so many of us. It wasn't just, you know, the primary image guys. It was Dale Keown. It was Mark Teixeira. It was Larry Stroman. It was Sam Keith. And I've always tried to, you know, mix in my affection for the work that was done there because that, I could easily tweet out, and probably will by the time you hear this, uh, some book that I did on the New Mutants, an issue of Amazing Spider-Man and some Uncanny X-Men by Jim Lee and do the same thing. These books aren't nostalgia. They're milestones. They're 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 gold standards in terms of connecting with audience, uh, execution. Todd's Spider-Man is pretty much an entire generation's very, you know, very favorite version of Spider-Man. Jim's X-Men is a generation's favorite. Uh, my version of Cable and Deadpool and X-Force are many's favorite. I live this this I've, I've experienced this. Um, look, I was just at a show. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, uh, tap into some of the energy that I got going to WonderCon. WonderCon's a top. I, I think it's a top tier show still. I'm not sure if it's top three. I'm not even sure it's top five because the convention business has gotten so, uh, you know, competitive. And when you go, well, what is the top three? Well, the top two uh, are, are between San Diego and New York, right? And then from there, is it C2E2? Is it MegaCon? Is it uh, is it WonderCon? Is it Emerald City? You know, is it is it? it it's there's a lot of shows now that pack in a hundred thousand plus people, and uh, WonderCon is still at a giant venue here in Southern California. It is owned and operated by San Diego Comic Con. In case you didn't know that, uh, it, they they absorbed WonderCon many years back, and have run it for almost the better part of two decades. And it has been a uh, huge success. Been in Anaheim now for, there was only one year due to whatever scheduling and then the pandemic was down, but there was one year it bounced to LA, but it's been in Anaheim, I think for the last, give or take 13, 14 years. So uh, very exciting times, very exciting uh, interactions uh, to be had in regards to, to this convention that's just in my my backyard that as an arm of San Diego, as an extension, can use a lot of its same flexes and strengths uh, in terms of, of, of getting giant vendors, uh, comic book sellers, toy sellers, huge artist alley. All of that was on display at WonderCon. I went around. Uh, I was there uh, briefly on Friday. Fortunate enough, my son was on a panel for the show that he's on called Wolfpack on Paramount+. Plus. If you haven't watched it, please rectify that. <laughs> Please correct this uh, this this uh, 
error in your programming and, and go and watch Wolfpack. Okay, that is a, a father uh, talking about a son here. But no, I, honestly, the show is really good. It's really great stuff. If it, if it wasn't, I wouldn't tell you. But while you're at it, go watch Chank and Dunk on Disney. Uh, Chase Liefeld is also a featured player in that. And you should, uh, it's, a, it's a really outstanding movie that Disney did not understand in, in, in fully what they had in terms of the connection that it would make with families and it has done great. Chan can dunk on Disney Plus. Wolfpack, Wolfpack on Paramount Plus is what brought me to WonderCon on Friday afternoon. And I went to go see my son. My, fam- my family will tell you I plan very much in advance. I love to get to, to, to venues early. So we had a couple hours to kill my wife. And she was lovely enough to walk around, look at art and comics with me. I was hunting back issues. I was talking to retailers. Uh, primarily just really talking to retailers. And, and so much of what they said is going to work its way into this uh, kind of theorem that I'm going to share with you today. And, and, it, and it talks about the current state of the marketplace because so many of you are like, but, but, but the current comics, the current comics. And to you, I say, but what about the current comics? Really? You know, here early on in the show, I'm going to say, what about them? I have spoken at length how the most, the comic book that has been exciting me the most these last six months is by a fellow peer of mine who I believe is the best illustrator of my generation, possibly right before us as well. And, and, and certainly going forward, I don't see anybody who can hold a candle to Mark Silvestri. His Batman Joker deadly duo uh, is a seminal work. It will be collected for years and years to come. When those seven or eight issues, I don't know if it's seven or eight issues. I know the fifth issue is out now. It's been coming out monthly since it's uh, released back in November, November, December, January, February. Well, yeah, five issues are out. It either has seven or eight issues left. It will uh, get all manner of the different collections that I'm telling you, and it's going to live in these different collections for generations to come, for year, for years. You're going to get soft cover. You're going to get a reprint of the soft cover. You're going to get a hard cover. You're going to deluxe hard cover. Um, you're going to get a black and white all line art uh, edition that DC does. I mean, this thing is going to smoke. It's going to truck uh, through for years and years and years uh, be, be, because of the tremendous accomplishment that Mark has achieved in both his story and art. Comics are about pictures. There are no better pictures of Batman that have been drawn in the last 20 years. And I know exactly what I am encompassing when I say 20 years. Let's go 21, let's go 22, whatever, since the 2000s. Do I believe Batman is better than anything in Hush? I do. Do I think it's better than anything in the Tim Sale uh, stuff? I do. Do I think Mark's... uh, Batman is, is is superior to my eyes. Is it more commercial? Is it more appealing to me than anybody who's been drawing the character for the last 20 years? Yes, let's just cover it in a complete blanket. You can choose to disagree with me. That's fine. This is not uh, me pushing my opinion on you. I'm identifying it. It is, at, it is my opinion. It is my output. It is my, my viewpoint. Now, here's the great thing. A lot of people uh, are finding out and agreeing and flocking to it. But I'm getting ahead of my, my second point because we're going to use Mark uh, and, and the success that he's achieved here in just a minute. Because ironically, um, may, may, maybe the conditions of the marketplace were actually working against the kind of work that he was doing. I am very keen and, and follow the comics industry. It is my passion, not just writing and drawing and telling the stories, but also <clears throat> watching what everyone else is doing. What else is going on in the business, who's making moves that matter, who's who, who's doing things that I could pick up on and maybe utilize myself in terms of marketing, in terms of publishing, in terms of maybe uh, special applications. And we're going to start and, and really move in on that with our first point, which is 
specialty covers are struggling. I'm not going to say they're dead, but they're definitely struggling. Uh, specialty covers as in uh, rare variants or retail variants and trying to squeeze all the juice out of them are struggling. Uh, again, they have slowed dramatically in the over the last couple of years, five, six retailers or consortiums of retailers because you may get a cover from a certain retailer who buys a bunch of Facebook ads but he has already pre-sold it to other retailers to cover his costs and they don't get possession of those books and don't get to sell them until two to three weeks after the primary guy sells them. So he got to deal with Marvel, gets his 3,000 books. Marvel's not going to do a deal with you for less than 3,000 books. That's a fact. That's not an industry secret. Uh, If you're a retailer and you've inquired and you've called and you've asked Marvel, hey, I want to get a special book on Spider-Man 9,000. Uh, they're going to say, great, our immediate buy-in is 3,000 copies uh, at whatever percentage of the cover price, okay? So if it's a $9.99, you're going to pay more. If it's a $5.99, you're going to pay less. If it's a $3.99 jackpot, that's about as low as you're going to possibly get in today's marketplace. But again, it's a minimum 3,000. And then once you hit the 3,000 threshold, you can do additional runs in the 1,000 range. I've done these. I know this. I've done tons of specialty covers. When my covers on the back... Uh, whether they were Deadpool uh, 30th anniversary covers or X-Force kill shot, one shots, uh, or even my my hardcover Deadpool Bad Blood that I was able to do the first ever hardcover basically store variant. The Rob Liefeld Creations logo on the back means that I bought that print run. When Whatnot does a, uh, the, 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 the app that I am, uh, I have basically a virtual store on, when Whatnot does a, Specially cover a variant on Spider-Man, on Deadpool, on Brigade. Well, Brigade is me, but when they do it on uh, on on Deadpool or Amazing Spider-Man, it's a it's a buy-in of three thousand. Okay, so many of these retailers have built consortiums where, again, I'm going to get it first because I'm going to basically I'm buying two thousand. Does anybody else want to come on and get three hundred? you know, 300 or 250, 250, 250, 250, whatever it is, they cut these deals. I know several of them. They're in Southern California. There are several guys who buy into uh, retail factions who are buying covers in Florida and then making sure retailers in Southern California get them a couple weeks later. So the guy that's putting the most money up is getting the biggest yield, okay? So trying to make this as linear and as simple as possible. So... Uh, Florida store, Texas store goes all in, orders a 3,000 run and a 1,000 run. They want two bites at the apple, so it's total 4,000. And then they imagine that they sell 300, uh, they sell allotments of the print run, at 300 each, to other stores for basically what they paid. But they're saying, I'm carrying the majority of the investment. And if you want to come on and join me and have this that you can offer to your own fans, uh, your own customers, but you're going to get them two weeks late. I'm the first bite at the apple. So he gets the first run and getting the most money back. He's got the most in. Okay. So the, again, I, I can't make it as clear, any clearer than that. Well, many of these factions, these, these publishing arrangements uh, rose up and one of the big dogs, one of the big players in the business bit the dust last November. They were responsible for umpteen thousands of variants from both Marvel and DC. And what happened is it was time to pay the piper and and, and whatever they were selling it on, whether it was through their convention, their aggressive convention business, or they buy their booths and they sell their special variants, or it's through their websites, 
their Facebook lives, their Instagram lives, their whatnots. They just couldn't move that amount of product because people are kind of numb. There's, is there only so many times you can do a specialty version of Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, uh, Gwen, you know, uh, uh, Spider-Gwen, Deadpool, Black Panther, Venom? Yes, yes, there is. We found out that that answer is yes. Absolutely, 100%. The answer is yes. And so the specialty division of, of many of these factions has slowed to a crawl and they are now withdrawing. But you guys, you see them. You know, you see them advertised and we are in the teeth of the convention season. We are in the absolute teeth of the comic book convention season. Given that it is 2023, you have always already had Emerald City Comic Con. You have already had WonderCon. You have already had a number of different fan expo shows. There was a show in uh, in Lexington, Kentucky this week. There was a show in Cleveland. There there was a uh, the big show in Kansas City. All of these shows get 75, 100,000 people through the door, and and. By, by the time we hit next week, we are at the solid halfway point because Chicago's C2E2, thrown by Reed, Reed, Reed Pop, who does New York City Comic Con, and they do Emerald City. So they do New York City, they do Emerald City, they have C2E2 among them. Then you've got Megacon, which is the biggest piece of the Fan Expo Empire portfolio. So then you've got, you know, C2E2, Megacon will have been done, WonderCon is done, Emerald City is done. Kansas City Planet Comic Con is done. So you've got five of the of the Big Ten out of the way. We are at the halfway point of the convention season. These uh, retailers are blasting you with their, you know, we have specialty covers. Come get our WonderCon exclusive. Come get our C2E2 exclusive. Come get our, you know, Megaton exclusive. Well, when 10 different accounts are pushing 15 different books, it's hard to carry that nut. It's hard to get everybody on board. Uh, there's a lot of sameness going around in the comic book convention guest game. Uh, and and so maybe the guest that bought at Megacon last week, last year, I'm sorry, in 2022 is not going to show up and have the same appetite that they did uh, in 2022 as they didn't. They're not going to have the same appetite in 2023 as they did in 2022. And so maybe they've got as many cool... Uh, Batman books and Spider-Man books and Hulk variants as as they have, you know, uh, been able to absorb. And now they're able to pass on this these next, you know, variations, even though some of the illustrations are great. No one said that the illustrations haven't gotten, you know, better. Uh, but a lot of these variant covers trade on homages, popular homages of popular images. Uh, New Mutants 98, Amazing Spider-Man 300, two of the most popular. Uh, classic Kirby, X-Men, Avengers, Fantastic Four, all the classics always come into play. The homages are kind of slowing down. Now you're like, Rob, you're doing homage covers. I am. I'm doing them for Marvel Comics. Marvel deals di- directly with the retailer. It's part of your Wolverine or Daredevil or Captain America purchase. I'm not a separate entity trying to then compete with Marvel. Marvel's already doing homage homage variants. They're calling, they call it the Homager Variant Program. So if you, Joe Blow, has more homages, you're just running into more competition along the way because now Marvel is doing it as well. Which again, you know, and, and what I was going to say, if they're not homaging uh, images, they're doing kind of posy, single image. Uh, I, 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 In my mind, I see Spider-Woman, I see Spider-Gwen, I see the female Electra. you know, a lot of these kind of posy shots. And, and I'm telling you guys, once there's hundreds of them, uh, you've oversaturated the market in anything. You can oversaturate any market. 
And I mean, here, you've heard me talk about it, food and comics a year ago. Uh, the, the, the crispy chicken, fried chicken competitive business is now on the downturn. You know what Popeye started five, four years ago, uh, and that run, everyone kind of came around and everyone got their own crispy chicken sandwich. And then there was mom and pop crispy chicken sandwich, uh, you know, pop-ups and, and, and brand new franchises. They're all now, I drove by one today, closed, closed, really popular area closed. Oh man, bit the dust. Won't be buying crispy chicken sandwiches from them. Uh, you know, it's starting to go backwards. We've, we've, we've given every possible variation of the crispy chicken sandwich of the fried chicken sandwich with the pickle and the onion and the spread and whatever. And now it's scaling back. Okay. Now it's scaling back and we're kind of getting back because again, the big boys dip their toes in it. McDonald's said, we'll do that. Burger King, we'll do that. Jack in the box, we'll do that. You know, you can't compete. So in the variant cover world, it's just not enough to drive the market as it was coming out, coming out of the pandemic. And, 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 and the couple of years that followed, there's just too many of them. There's just too many of them. And you can go, but Rob, they're okay. They are, some of them are really great. Like again, go, let's go to a major publisher, Marvel comics, major publisher. I haven't bought this much variance in a long time, but I went into my store two weeks ago. I saw that they had a whole bunch of Alex Ross villains. I didn't know they were coming out. I love all the different shots. Dr. Doom, Red Skull, the Juggernaut, all against white, the lizard really got really great, beautifully illustrated Alex Ross busts of all these classic Marvel villains to go with the classic Marvel heroes that he used to do. I grabbed them all. I've never, I haven't bought that many comics in a long time. That's when quality name, quality imaging, there's a, there's a, a real collectability to it. Cause you want to have them all. They all have that giant white space kind of as, as, as the, uh, and they're all virgin variants. So they're really very striking. I, I bought a ton of them. So you guys, again, I'm talking to you as a consumer. When I say pandemic money, you know how many times I was told about the pandemic money this weekend at WonderCon? Well, that pandemic money's gone. Well, that pandemic money's gone. And I even said to one retailer, what a boon. You as a citizen got your pandemic money when they were handing out the pandemic funds. Maybe you even got it for your business. Then the money that made it to your customers, they all came in and they got slabs, nine eights, nine sevens, whatever of, of you know, high-end collectible books. And, uh, and he confirmed, yep. And that, that money, whatever it is, whether the economy is getting tighter, uh, people have less to spend, they're scaling back. So again, the specialty variant cover is no longer something that you can count on. Books that are coming out with 20 covers are getting kind of a backlash. Now, Liefeld, what about variants? You've got them. Yes, I do. I have Deadpool, Batter, Blood. Let me, you know, again, full, full disclosure. I think that book has maybe five covers on it. So five is kind of now a standard for a launch. But when you've got a book, as as there were some books in December uh, that had, again, we're getting up into 20 covers, and then you have the same artist, and there's a line art version of that, and maybe if you start getting all the secondary applications of the line arts, not just the color, and then you go virgin, maybe there was 25, 30, maybe it was a higher-end book, it, it stiffed. Books, comic stores didn't have room for them to stiff, and they stiffed. And what they should have done, and here we pivot towards, is focus more on the content, because Number one, we've covered it. Specialty covers are slow. If not dead, they are slow. They are not enough uh, to spark. Okay, let me let, like put it this way. That, that there was a time where you could gather them all. You know, let's say you're freezing, okay? And and, and you need to make some tinder. And, and so you gather the woods and, and uh, you, you gather the, the wood fr- from, from the forest and you, and you get enough uh, stuff to start a fire and, and, and you, you get the match in there and you get this great big fire and it burns all night and it keeps you warm in the middle of the forest, okay? Well, the, the, the version of that is you gathered enough tinder, certainly paper, these covers, they can be, you know, 
be, be, they can be tender. The comic marketplace is the forest and you're about to ignite a fire, but your matches are wet. Okay. You can't light that fire because your matches are wet. Okay. There's just, that's what we're looking at. You know, what was burning uh, two years ago is not burning right now. The matches are wet. Same materials that you used to use to get your giant raging inferno in the middle of the forest and keep you um, warm is no longer working. This pivots towards point number two, content. Content matters. If the content is lacking, then that spark is not going to ignite, okay? I'm going to go to Mark Silvestri's Batman Deadly Do. I'm going to go back to that. It did a really good number. It launched at a really respectable good number. Not maybe as blockbuster as it should have been. I, I definitely felt it should have been ordered more, but I knew very quickly on the first week that it came out that the hundred and plus thousand copies that were ordered, very, very strong number, wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to meet the demand. Once you got that book into people's hands and they looked at it and they experienced it and they saw how Batman was depicted and uh, Commissioner Gordon was depicted and how Joker was depicted and Harley Quinn was depicted and, and how Mark was pacing and telling his story and laying it out and the excitement and the shadows and the rendering and the beautiful drawing and the gestures, it wasn't enough. It excited people. You go, oh, wow, this is how I'm supposed to like a comic. Beautifully colored colored by uh, Mr. Peronto. Just beautiful, just beautiful. And uh, store sold out. First week, couldn't find Deadly Duo in Orange County. I was lucky to hunt down one copy. I made sure I reserved more. They said, Rob, we can't, we can't keep them in stock. I'm like, of course. What What are you thinking? In, in New York, they gave people a black and white ash can. Um, the, 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 the good people at Top Cow, my good friend Matt Hawkins, walked me up to New York Comic Con and said, I know what a fan you are. I'm going to give this to you. I, I, know you I, I know you'd want this, so I reserved one for you. I was so thrilled. That it, it, it built a buzz. It was a black and white, about 12, 13 pages of the first issue, you know, uh, kind of a full color ash can edition, which is basically kind of a rogue uh, preview edition. And I just knew, like, once people saw it, now I've, I've told you years ago, five years ago, um, Mark showed me the, 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 these pages. He showed me issue one, two, three, four. I was like, oh my gosh, I knew it was coming. I tried to you know, sound the bell, alert the people as much as possible. I'm a fan. I want you to experience something great. I knew what something great looks like and I knew it was coming. I knew it was on the way. Stores didn't order as many. You want to know the number one reason they didn't? Because the Batman brand was watered down. They said, Rob, there's so many Batman books. How did I know? How did I know? A store in Fullerton told me that. A store in Tustin told me that. A A store in Albuquerque told me that. A story in Escondido told me that. A store... In uh, in in uh, in Pomona told me that. Okay, they all have the same story. I, I just yeah, I thought it was gonna be good, but I I you know I've been getting burned so often now, and there's 18 Batman titles, and I'm gonna tell you, I uh, did a 60th anniversary with Mark Silvestri recently for Marvel.com. It was a huge celebration of 60 years of the X Men. It was so um, great to be a part of that tremendous celebration. There was a waiting room area, kind of a virtual green room that they put Mark and I in. We were we were assigned to be on the same panel together, so we were looking forward to doing that. And we were spo- supposed to show up a good half hour before, so I was able to chat with Mark. Mark um, expressed uh, gratitude. I, I, I was shocked. He first thing he said is, "Rob, I, I know how how you're out there. You're you're banging for my book. I appreciate it so much. I I'm I hear it. I see it. I just want to tell you I appreciate it." I said, "Mark, it's genuine. It's one of the few things that is turning me on." So again, what is turning me on? A book in 2022 slash 2023. Okay, you can't get more recent than that. I don't want to hear that. I don't talk about current modern comics. Here I am right now, once again 
for multiple episodes giving a huge spotlight to what I believe is the best work being published right now by any company. I talked to Mark. I said, hey man, congratulations. Every store I know has sold out. They're selling out of the first prints, the second prints. They're selling out of issue two, issue three, issue four. He goes, yo, no, man. No, man. We, we, Mark said, we've been really fortunate. No, man, we've been really fortunate. He goes, uh, you know, the, the, the fans are behind us and we've been make, making noise. Well, you know, again, I was just so excited because that's, I mean, you, you wouldn't think that a Batman book would have to work so hard to break through, but this one did. And it did. It had to work so hard to break through and it did break through. And the reason I know this is the very next day I went to my comic store. Friday Friday afternoon, figured I'd pop in. I saw, what's this? It's a new cover. It's a new Batman Deadly Duo cover. What did I miss? Oh, Liefeld, that collects all the first three. That collects the first three. That's a reprint. Done. I'm in. It gave me a new cover of the material. I went up to the counter. Boom. Signed me up. I don't know what I paid. Was it six bucks, eight bucks? Didn't matter. I just wanted to support it. I wanted to have it in every possible format. Again, it's not even... It's not even completed, and it's not a trade paperback yet. It's not a hardcover. It's not an omnibus. It's already being reprinted because you guys are showing up. Maybe some of you were late to the dance. Maybe some of you, it it wasn't on your radar. Maybe your retailer overlooked it and said, oh, man, you know what? I'll just rely on DC to have enough. Well, that that day is over. The early We are almost back in the early 2000s, which the publisher... And the editor-in-chief, they were called Quemus because one of them was Bill Jemis. He was the publisher of Marvel. And the other, Joe Quesada, was the editor-in-chief. And the press, because they always talked together in one voice, they'd appear together. They'd have all of their, um, you know, their their press breaks, their, their, their PR uh, meetings together. And early on, they said, look, we're not going to over-order and, and let stuff sit because, again, I'm going to tell you, it's it's covered in the giant coffee table Marvel book, The Rise of the MCU. It talks about the guy who actually owned Marvel Comics and sold it to Disney and became, in return, their number one stockhold, stock holder. I mean, he's a big deal. Ike Permutter, he's also notoriously, by every single report, is very, um, he's notoriously cost- uh, he is a, uh, he likes to manage costs. He's, he's, he's very, uh, uh, mindful. That's it. Mindful of costs. And he does not want to, he didn't understand why the publishers were being asked to carry overages that may or may not sell. So let's say a retailer ordered a hundred thousand, uh, you know, Wolverine and they sold out, but they said, Hey, we've got 10, 15,000 in overruns that you can access. That is how the business worked for a decade, all through the nineties. Now I can tell you because I did Wolverine right in 2000. I did issues 54, 55, 56, 57. They all sold about a hundred thousand. They were the number two best-selling book at the time on the charts. They sold out this, they had not implemented, uh, they, they were cut into the bone. They were not over carrying any amounts, which is why now, a book that sold as well as it did back then because, I mean, come on, Wolverine was a bestseller. I went on. I was able to bump it a little, but the bottom line is it was still in that upper, that, that early 100,000 number, and yet there was none to be found. There was no, there was no, you know, extra copies in the system to tap. They gave the retailers exactly what they wanted and said, no, no, we're not carrying extra copies anymore. You either order correctly or, or, or pay the cost. That was Marvel's message to retailers and retailers um they weren't real happy about it but marvel said look we're in a down cycle we have to save costs we are not going to just carry excess anymore so you need to maybe take a bigger bet maybe 
maybe place more faith up front in us and stop relying on us to carry overages. And, and you're like, Rob, how does this work? Well, as a publisher, I'm telling you. So let's say I publish Youngblood and 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 there's orders for 100,000 Youngblood. And I am confident that it's so good that you're going to want more. I I printed 120,000 because I know that stores in Chicago, LA, uh, Dallas, Austin, you know, uh, Houston, Pittsburgh, Indiana, they're all going to need more copies and they're all going to immediately run and put in back orders. And I want to be able to fill those back orders immediately. I want to get those comics to them next week. That, that can happen when you have extra overages. The, the distributor says, I've got them right now on Wednesday. If you're down and you go and you look and you go, oh, I can get whatever I want. I'm going to put in, I need 60 more, 50 more, 40 more. They're there and boom, they're going to hit my drop a week from now. So I can tell my customer, I'm going to have this for you in seven days. Don't go to the next guy. All you come back next week. Now, again, most stores don't want you to go to the next guy because the next guy may treat you better, may have more of what you want may run their business different. They want to keep you there. That's any business. That that's also the burger business, the hot dog business, the 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 you know, Mexican food business, okay? That's the pizza business, okay? They want to keep you buying from them and not give you a reason to taste the competitor, okay? So, when we would carry overages, again, I'm putting my money on the line. Marvel said, "No more overages. There will be nothing in the system to get. We're printing to order, bare, bare minimum." We're back to that. Batman Deadly Duo in 2022 went out at bare minimum. If there was 120,000 ordered with four covers, four or five covers on the launch book, that's it. That's all you got. And by the time people went back in, Diamond said and Luna said or whoever was carrying that said, we don't have any. We're done. But we are going to solicit for a second print and that'll be there in five weeks, six weeks. I had a friend, I mention him all the time. He's a big wig at Apple. Big wig at one of the biggest, I mean, is, is I think Apple is one of the few trillion dollar companies. His credit card burns. It burns. It works. He was not turned on to the Batman stuff. I turned him on. It was over Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's. We went out to lunch. I took him to my store. He didn't have, they didn't have any Batmans for him to buy. He was like, oh, I really want, they had issue two. They didn't have issue one. He really wanted issue one. He was like, when's issue three coming out? <clears throat> He's like, I'll have to get issue one online. And that's what he did. He, he eventually ordered it online and had it delivered to him. Again, because issue one, the reprint of issue one didn't arrive to coincide with issue two. So again, these are just really the basic, uh, you know, nuts and bolts of comic book ordering and delivering. And right now, publishers are not carrying overages. They are basically saying, again, just like in the 2000s, 2001, 2002, know your orders, order up front. I, as a creator, tell people on my Facebook, on my Instagram, on my Twitter, please inform your retailer if you're going to buy my latest book, because chances are they're only going to have what they've heard people want. And then you, you never know when a creator ratchets up that promotion, when, uh, audiences react like they did with Batman deadly duo and said, Oh my gosh, this is the best Batman I've seen in, in 20 years. And I need this. Wow. Why? And then of course, why didn't you tell me about this to your friend? And your friend's like, Hey man, I knew, I knew exactly what you knew. I just had faith. I went in, I had it. I reserved it. I've never had so many comic books being reserved as I do now. And I recommend you do the same. So content matters. Mark crafted a great story, great art. And it is, uh, for, for Batman. I mean, this isn't like, uh, James, the fourth James Tinian who, who is blowing you away with, you know, 
uh, something is killing the children, that word of mouth builds and builds and builds and everyone suddenly wants it. And that's the way you can get more and more reprints of issue one. But then that drives the cost of the first issue up. Whoa. Okay. And all the collectors love that because everybody wants to know that the book they're buying for $299, $399, $499 is going to turn into a $200, $300 book. That's the excitement, the kind of the after effect of our business. It also creates something very dangerous, which I'm going to get into in just a second. But again, the content has to matter. The story has to excite. The art has to pop in order for this latest excitement. It's not just being done by covers again. Refer back to point number one. Covers, specialty covers have slowed. There's too many of them. So they're watered down. They're watering down the product. It's harder to pop out. Boom. But you know what does pop out? Point number two, content. Content matters now more than ever. In a sea of, I'm going to say it, samey. I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of what's samey out there. That's that's to come down the line. I, I have a lot to say. I'm just not ready to say it yet. But when something is breakthrough, it breaks through and then people don't have enough of it. And that's exciting. It's exciting for the creator. It was great for Mark to say, you know, we are just so excited that 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 the fans have have found us and have and have broken us through. Because again, the retailers are like, there's 18 Batman books in you guys. If you go to your your store right now, there's medieval Batman Knights, Bat Knights, whatever, Superman, Batman, Batman, Detective, Son of Batman, Batman's best friend, uh, you know, Catwoman, Robin, Nightwing. There are a lot of Batman books for sure. Okay. Um, you know, Mark had to break out because there was a a clutter of of a ton of Batman titles. And 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 you know, the fans found him and elevated him above the rest. So we've covered two of these points. Number three, number three, and this is what I heard time and again from all the different retailers that I was able to talk to on, on, the, on the show floor at WonderCon. And again, I talked to enough of my local retailers. And when I visit uh, Frank and Sons, uh, you know, here in Southern California, it's a marketplace. Uh, look it up, Frank and Sons. I'm not going to, it's no longer in Pomona. It moved the city, the city evades me right now. But again, Frank and Sons has all manner of different vendors. It's like a convention every single week. One Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, their doors are open. They have tons of comic book dealers, toy dealers. I, I get all my information from them. They, they're the people who are seeing the buying and selling occur. And so I listen to them. They know what they're talking about. It's so, it's so fascinating to get the input. They're all, they've all been saying the same thing. And the bottom line is what isn't driving comics either. And it was getting kind of, uh, on autopilot was, oh man, a new character is going to come in, is going to come in, uh, you know, a Marvel show, those Marvel streaming shows, you know, some character in She-Hulk, some character in Moon Knight, some character in, um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, some character in WandaVision. That hasn't happened. It's been a year. A year ago, Moon Knight was released. People jacked up their prices on the first appearance of Moon Knight, Moon Knight number one, the Werewolf by Nights, all of that stuff. I was at WonderCon. It came out a week before WonderCon. It came out the weekend of WonderCon 2022. People were asking exuberant amounts of money. I said, you know, I'll revisit this in San Diego and see if the prices drop. They did. They dropped. They indeed dropped. I went back to the exact same retailer from one year ago at WonderCon and I uh, looked at his pricing. What do you know? My fever is no longer there because I uncovered my original uh, copies of Werewolf by Night with the original Moon Knight appearance that I bought as a kid. I was I, I finally found that box in storage, and so now my fever to have another one is broken. But it was a fifty percent drop in what he was asking. And Moon Knight's a big character. Moon Knight is one of the bigger characters we're going to discuss, right? But um, more than Titania, more than um, some person that, that that works for the 
you know, the Time Corporation in Loki. I mean, again, for a while it was new character, new character in a trailer, new this, new that. Bang the drum, bang the drum. Star Wars 2, you know, Black Chris Hansen and whatever. Did I say that wrong? I know I did. But anyway, you, gonna, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the, the, the mercenary Wookiee, whatever. Those are no longer gateways for people to charge the store, look for them, collect them, and pay, and quite frankly, overpay. But I'll tell you what is working. So these characters in streaming shows, and 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 let's call them D-level characters, because they don't have their own series, they've never carried anything their own, but it's like, oh, oh, this is going to follow that pattern, this is going to follow that pattern, I need this, I need this. That appetite also, just like the covers above it, point number one, it's dried up. It no longer exists in the way that it used to. But the tried and trues, the back issues, one thing that unites every store and every booth, oh, back issues are saving me. So let's go back to what I said before I started this. It wasn't even before the points. It was the classics. Why are these the classics? Why can the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac in 2018 sell out Dodger Stadium multiple nights? They haven't had really new albums in decades themselves, and most of their biggest hits are 40 years old. But why can they pack in Dodger Stadium for two to three straight nights, sell them out 75, 80,000 venues? I mean, all of them. And these are not cheap tickets. These are big, big tickets. This isn't Taylor Swift or Adele, current modern acts. This isn't Bruno Mars, current modern acts that hit the charts. These are classics. Fleetwood Mac, the Eagles, huge ticket prices, 80,000 times three, 240,000 people are showing up. I'm one of them. My wife and I went. Okay, we follow these bands because they are gold standards. They are the best-selling albums of all time for a reason. The songs are memorable. You have a connection with them. You you have a, they were probably handed also down generationally. My kids love Fleetwood Mac and Eagles because they couldn't escape them for 10 years in the car. They couldn't escape. My, my son now says, dad, I, I'm just, I love that. I love the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac and all of these uh, yacht rock bands because you just, you know, when we would drive to our basketball tournaments, when we would drive to Arizona, Nevada, you know, when we would go on giant lake trips, that's all they listened to. The classics matter. Classic comics, X-Men number one, Avengers number one, first appearances by big dogs. You know, the first appearance of Wolverine, okay, uh, still commands a big pre- a, a, a big dollar. The first appearance of the Inhumans, the first appearance of Black Panther, okay, the first appearance of Venom, of Deadpool, of Cable. Uh, c- come on, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely 100% a beneficiary of this, so I have knowledge of it. I've seen it work. Um, Miles Morales is really the 20-year-old kind of uh, champion of this right now. But there are gold standard characters. Giant size X-Men number one. The first appearance of the brand new X-Men that I toot that horn all the time. That that stuff is the gold standard. It commands the big bucks. I asked, how much is that 7.0 Hulk 181? It's $8,000. $8,000. A 7.0. Not a 7.2. Not a 7.4. Not a 7.6. Not an 8.2. Not an 8.4. Not an 8.8. Not a 9.2. Not a 9.6. Not a 9. $8,000. Okay. I a couple of weeks back was at a was at a local comic book show. They had a eight. They had a Hulk 181 eight. And it was drum roll, please, ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars. Okay. Not a nine two, nine four, nine six, nine eight, 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 eight point zero. And they had dropped the price on that. It's still ten thousand dollars. Okay. So the classics and the back issues are moving all manner of uh of units for comic stores and they're keeping them in business for early in the early 2000s a lot of the comic stores that were popping up had no back issues whatsoever the back issue bins that were in comic stores of my youth were gone they were completely disappeared vanished uh, almost extinct a lot of the stores that replaced the older stores that went out of business just had new books and that's it toys they had new books 
And they had the latest action figures, statues, maquettes, whatever, some trading cards. The back issue bins, the, the, the stuff that you wanted, it was gone. And I'm telling you, it was gone for about a decade. And I am I am calling out all, you know, uh, there was a store. I love the guy. He's great. He's since sold it. It was called The Realm in Brea. Never had a back issue component. Just new books. Just new books. A lot of the, uh, the, the, the stores that were popping up had limited, for the longest time, Pop Comics, uh, which I, I love and adore everybody that worked at that, but it had a very limited uh, back issue bin. I'm, I'm talking like the equivalent of four short boxes. Then a couple of these stores started opening and they had like the equivalent of 30, 40 long boxes. It was like 2010 happened and 90s books, 80s books, 70 books, the the, the bronze era, you know, the, 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 the 90s stuff started showing up and these were the stores that were separating. Some of the big chains reinvested, got collections because the curiosity is there. Hey, I want to go back and buy my childhood or I want to buy all these exciting stories I'm hearing about. If you're going to buy the first appearance of Wolverine and Hulk, then you're probably going to want Wolverine number one. Well, that's an 80s book. And you're going to probably want his seminal adventures in the X-Men, which are in the 70s and the 80s. And then you're going to kick into the 90s. There's a store just a couple of years ago right coming out of the pandemic where we can go and we can visit and we could, you know, visit again, uh, uh, you know, frequent stores. I went to a store that was attached to a theater that was a very successful business model, be attached to a movie theaters. Movies were opening again, were opening up again. I'm sure they were, they, when they did the deal, they were much more enthusiastic about the fact that this is pre-pandemic, you know, movies, people come out of the movie theater, they'll want to go to the comic store. Well, then the pandemic slowed that down. But still, I went in there, they had no back issues. And by that, I mean all of their back issues were from like 20, 206, 2006, 2007, and up. And I'm like, this doesn't go back very far. Now, again, where I am at WonderCon, walking up and down the aisles on, fr- on Friday afternoon, talking to all these different retailers, buying comics, by the way, buying them. You know, they, they know me as a buyer. I'm, I'm all, all too happy to buy all manner of back issues. Different graded stuff. I love it. I, I, my, my collection continues to, to, you know, need to be filled in triplicate, in, in doubles. I, I, I love getting more of, of one thing if I can. They're like back issues from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. That That's the stuff that people are really excited about. And I, I was at a store literally three years ago and all they had was 2000s books. And I'm like, well, what's going on here? And it really, it limited my interest. And then it was new books and some toys. And I, 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 I left. So again, back issues, the stores that have them and Tustin Tunes and Toys has a shit ton of them. Secret Hideout in Fullerton has a shit ton of back issues. These are great stores in Orange County. They're the ones that I frequent. I know that if I go to several stores in Vegas, they have those as well. I know that there's some great stores in Arizona that I've appeared at that, that I've, I've, you know, forgotten uh, the title of the stores, but they have great back issue components. Those, when, when the storms, uh, when the new issues aren't clicking and the new content isn't driving people and these store these store people are telling me when I come in the first thing I say is hey what's new what's 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 new from uh from the big the big publishers what should I be looking at what I'm getting back again and again and again from these clerks and vendors and the managers are nothing is exciting people right now nothing's driving people okay but man our back issues are saving us man our back issues are saving us I'm not making the news I am reporting what I am told character content matters the classics, the good stuff, stock up on it, have it. It, it, it will draw eyeballs. It will keep people coming back. Uh, if they keep asking you about that wall book, 
behind the counter, chances are they want more of those and they do. And, and I've been told they, they, they continue to want more people want to, uh, expand, get into a character. And like I said, with Wolverine just, or Venom, go back in his early appearances in Amazing Spider-Man, then follow his, his storylines throughout the nineties and then, then get to the stuff in the two thousands. People love that. Okay. But just having a character that's going to be in a couple scenes on one of the Marvel streaming shows or one of the DC cartoons or one of the DC shows is just not enough and it's not cutting it any further. So those are the three points, man. Specialty covers have slowed tremendously. Content matters. Huge. It can be the difference between the breakout and not. And while the current publishing market is not really, uh, you know, giving you a ton of different hits, it's those rich back issues and the rich classic characters that still matter, that people still desire. And, uh, and, and I would just put a premium on those above all else. I told you we were going to talk about the current market and we did. And there you go. Okay. You know what? And you're going to have a favorite that you say, I don't talk about. You're right. I don't read everything. There's way too many books. There's way, 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 way too many. Uh, new books for me to pick up, uh, but but do I look at the Star Wars family? Do I look at the Image Comics family, the Boom Studios family, the Dark Horse family? Do I look at the Marvel releases, the DC releases? I do. I check them all out. Um, I'm just leaving with less than ever. I have a whatnot stream, and I'm on there, you know, a couple hours every time that I'm sharing my signed comics and toys and Funkos and art. And so many of you, uh, it's a great interface. It's great back and forth. And I asked people the other night how they feel about the current market what are they buying and more than one person chimed in and said this is the worst time in my history buying comics i am buying the least amount of comics again this goes back to my uh holiday episode where i said support your local store don't let that clubhouse go under because you're going to miss that clubhouse so i don't know what it takes uh maybe maybe find a series get invested in it look i can't i can I can just recommend to you that you frequent your store more and that you pick up your pull list. That's the, that's a big deal with these stores that they're carrying pull lists. But um, as new comics come forth, we'll talk about them. Uh, again, I've given a lot of time to Deadly Duo. It's not because Mark is my pal. It's because the work is so exceptional. It's great. You should buy it. If you haven't already, go buy it and get them to order even more. So earlier in the show, at the top of the show, I mentioned that we would be doing this kind of first encounters. I get people all the time who tell me, hey, Rob, I first encountered your stuff on Heroes Reborn. You're the reason I got Captain America. They say that publicly. That's stuff that is said to me on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. It's posted boldly, and I can only take them at their word. They, they'll say, I was 9, I was 12, and now I'm X amount. And then there's people who go, hey, man, you know, I I, I bought X-Force number one. I'd never heard of you before, but I saw X-Force number one. It appealed to me. I bought it. And I started buying X-Men books. This is stuff that was shared to me during the 60th anniversary. And people put that on my, again, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. They said, you are my gateway drug to the X-Men. Some guy said, I only drove, I only bought DC Comics, but I was intrigued by X-Force. Now, every talent that you follow is going to have a story like this. Interestingly enough, you know, there are people who love my favorite artist, John Byrne, but they didn't start buying John Byrne's art until what I believe is past his prime. But they love him as much, if not more than I do. And we both got into the guy at, the, at, at different, different times. When it comes to bands, my friend, I've told you, I've, I've mentioned this to you guys. U2, if, if you don't know this, Bono and his U2 band, uh, 
you know, they uh, they started as a Christian church band. They were they came over here overseas. Their original U.S. tour in 1982, 1983, they were doing Calvary chapels in Orange County, in uh, Fountain Valley, in Huntington Beach. Churches had created these new kind of uh, uh, amphitheater settings. They, they had all, uh, in the early 80s, done this pivot towards these amphitheaters that were better for youth and for, you know, celebrations. And U2 was doing churches and their amphitheaters. And I was there. I went with my buddy Ted. We drove in his Volkswagen. They had only had uh, an album called Boy and October out at the time. War was just breaking. And then uh, Live at Red Rock would follow. And then uh, uh, the the uh, In the Name of Love album I forget what that's called. Um, and again, they would just increase, become more and more popular. My wife first heard of you two with Rattle and Hum. That was her, that was her uh, big deal. That was her big break. And she loved them. And they were her favorite band for about five, six years. We encountered them at different times. I love the earlier kind of more punk, hard rock, uh, indie edged U2. War is probably... Uh, that and Act Tongue Baby are my two favorite albums. The more commercial they got, the less I was in love with them. I thought Act Tongue Baby was a little more edgy, had a little more experimentation. I totally dug it. I've always, you know, loved every way that that band has has zigged and zagged, and I've followed it and I've collected it. Um, I like that they don't sit still and they take big swings. Sometimes they're big misses. But the bottom line is, my wife and I. There's only three years between us, but we came to the bands in decidedly different places. So what we can come to artists, musicians, athletes, careers at, at radically different positions. You know, my kids never saw Michael Jordan play, period. So their encounter with him was the 10-part ESPN, you know, mega Michael Jordan documentary where they were completely wowed and dazzled, but everything their dad had always told them about Michael Jordan now seemed differently having seen it. So first encounters in comics. This gives me a chance to talk about one of my favorite books. It launched in 1975-1976, but it has two stellar titans handling the art. Now, here's the deal. Kids, I'm not a kid, sorry, but the the, the kids, the people who were kids <laughs> when I was a kid, they, and they really do, they continue to take swings at a character called, a mythological, legendary character you've heard of called Hercules. Hercules has been betrayed by all manner of actors. Lou Ferrigno was Hercules. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger played Hercules. Uh, you know, Kevin Sorbo played Hercules in the popular uh, 90s syndicated show. You had The Rock play Hercules like 2014. Hercules is a character everybody always wants to take a swing at. Disney has their giant animated Hercules. Marvel has their Hercules. Well, did you know that DC also had Hercules? Hercules Unbound. I was there from the beginning. This brilliant first issue cover where he is standing, flexing his extraordinary strength, breaking the chains that bind him to a giant boulder. Hercules Unbound. You know who drew it? Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. I don't say his name enough here. He is a consummate professional. He's a pro's pro. Everybody who is in comics is aware of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. You got to say all four names. And, uh, he really made his name standing out at DC Comics. Uh, pretty much his entire career, he was a standout, a stellar uh, illustrator. He did tons of Superman-related comics, whether it was the Superman team-up comic DC Comics Presents, whether it was the Giant Treasury Edition. It's one of my favorite comic books ever. Uh, Superman versus Wonder Woman. 
He illustrated it. It has some of the best action uh, figure drawing you're ever going to see. He did issues of Superman. He did Atari Force. Uh, he did graphic novels. He's just, again, a pros, pros, pro. Everybody talks about growing up and being wowed by him. He was very Neil Adams influenced, but he was like Tim Duncan in the NBA, the big fundamental. He does everything well and nothing is cheated and nothing is stylized. It's just drawn remarkably well. Neil has a little more panache. Neil came first. And you can see that Jose was indeed influenced by a Neil Adams, but not by any means a Neil Adams clone. He had his own angles. He had his own uh, ways that he told stories and portrayed. And here's the thing, because he draws everything good, and that's cars, buildings, you know, uh, deserts, westerns, romances, women, men, normal people. He just, he just told them his, his way. He didn't have a certain style. Uh, about his approach. He just drew it better than anybody else. I, I used to talk to Mark Miller of, uh, you know, Kick-Ass and the Ultimates and and uh, and the Authority uh, in the Kingsman fame, that Mark Miller. We used to talk about, what if Garcia Lopez had spent time at Marvel? What if he, at the same time that he was at DC, what if he had been a product of Marvel and drawn the Avengers Fantastic Four? We think he would have been a giant superstar. But regardless, he has the respect of a gazillion people who believe he is one of the best illustrators, draftsmen. You'll see Brian Hitch brag on him. You'll see Adam Hughes brag on him. You'll see everybody. Jerry Ordway brag on him. George Perez would 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 uh, brag on him in, in regards to, oh my gosh, he's one of the greatest of all time. There is, he's such a consummate, amazing illustrator. He drew the first, I want to say seven issues. I've got them all right here in my lap. I went and dug them up of Hercules Unbound. And they were inked by Wally Wood. Now, because Garcia Lopez is, it was so new at this time, this is early in his formative stage. These were, his, in my mind, his, uh, my memory, his first monthly work. Again, and you're going to, and, and DC's Hercules has jet, Hercules, Her, Herky, <laughs> DC's Hercules has jet black hair with a yellow headband, bare chested. So also not surprised when, when I tell you that this book lasted only 12 issues. They, they rally to try and make some changes at the end with another first encounter that I'm going to I'm, I'm get into. Hercules Unbound gave me two, two killer first encounters. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, the consummate professionals, professional, the most brilliant drawings, figures, faces. Yes, indeed. He did the first six issues. I have them right here. They were inked by a veteran named Wally Wood. I have done a Wally Wood dedicated uh podcast probably two years back that I want you to go listen to. It's about his falling out with Stanley. Uh, Wally Wood made Daredevil all red. He gave him uh, the depiction of his sonar sense, the uh, application, this very specific application of the Billy Club. Uh, he is kind of seen as stylistically, dra- radically changing and altering Daredevil for the better and making him more appealing when he was seen as kind of a second-rate Spider-Man at the time. Listen to the entire podcast. Wally Wood has gone on record. He left Marvel over it. Wally Wood is also, for his era, was Jose Garcia Lopez of the late 60s, early 70s. And so it's funny that he is the embellisher, the inker for Jose Gar- Garcia Lopez. The covers are penciled and inked by Garcia Lopez. He's uh, catching Big Ben as it topples uh, on the cover of issue five, and he's protecting the um, very... This woman looks like she... 
ran out of a uh, out of a jungle torn skirt torn top very very jungle girl but but he hercules says run jennifer even i cannot hold big ben any longer great force perspective on this it's it's amazing uh the cover to issue six has hercules slamming into um Ares, the god of war who is on his horse he's slamming straight into the horse knocking the horse and Ares slightly off the mount uh hercules the cover number four, pencil and ink. The covers are just pure Garcia Lopez. He is battling a bunch of animal styled creatures like from Commandy. They all look like talking tigers, talking apes with guns. He's lifting a car with a talk with a armed ape who is peering out of the uh, door that is ajar as as Hercules li- lifts the, the car above him. And at the same time, he is choke holding a tiger man. Uh, the, these covers are fantastic. The cover again to issue one is just everything a kid who was looking for a new comic book to dive into. Uh, it, it, it was it was all we needed. First sensational series, first sensational issue. Hercules Unbound again. He's breaking these uh, chains, snapping him free of this giant boulder that he's been bound to. He has he only wears a kind of a Roman gladiator skirt, the kind of skirt that uh, you know uh, Russell Crowe was sporting as Maximus in Gladiator. <clears throat> he had some gauntlets and some boots and a gold uh, kind of thick gold like wrestling belt, but otherwise bare chested, bare armed. And again, uh, black mid-size kind of haircut, mid-length, not super long hair, and, and a yellow bandana. And he was the son of Zeus, and he wandered around his very contained universe. He did not cross over with Batman, the Justice League, Superman, Flash, Wonder Woman, anything. He was a self, This is a self-contained series, Hercules Unbound. The entire thing is he is unleashed in the aftermath of World War III. Uh, it says in the first page, World War III plus four weeks on a small island in the Mediterranean, Mediterranean, hundreds of miles from the mainland, a thousand years from its place in time. A brawny man cries out in triumph, his shout mingling with the sound of shatter, of, of shattering metal and the grumble of breaking stone. This is written, these are written by Jerry Conway, who I have sung his praises. He uh, killed Gwen Stacy, wrote a epic Spider-Man run uh, is seen as the author of the uh, ended the Silver Age, ushered in the Bronze Age, uh, did, created Firestorm, Punisher, uh, wrote some of my favorite issues of Fantastic Four and the Avengers. My very first Rob Topsy issue with the Fantastic Four is all written by Jerry Conway. I love this guy. I love his stories. He is the dedicated author uh, of Hercules Unbound and each and every issue. Jerry Conway is giving you these, um, that's why you get the animal people. It's in World War III. But he is battling Cerebus. He is battling Ares. He's battling all manners of gods as uh, the the gods of Olympus, the Greek, the famous Greek pantheon gods uh, are, are making their w- way through this World War III ravaged world. Again, he, Jerry writes the first six issues of Hercules Unbound and I am riveted by each and every issue I love he's obviously got super strength he's super brawny he also reminds me of Samson he reminds me of many biblical portraits of Samson and if you go back to the very humble beginnings of this Rob Observations podcast I talked to you that my dad was a Baptist minister I grew up my natural inclination to love superheroes came from the heroes of the Bible I was raised in Sunday school and church and the only thing that bummed me out was that Samson died David died Joshua died Gideon died Moses died you get the picture they all died but I'd see what Superman's alive every month. 
He's battling, you know, lizard men, uh, uh, cowboys flying through the air on on uh, on on horseback, shooting at him with revolvers. He's battling giant robots. He's battling Lex Luthor. He's fighting with the Justice League, or depending on the month, the Super Friends comic. He never dies. So I was like, I'm 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 gonna follow these comic book characters that have super strength like Samson and who are courageous like David, but they never die. Well, Hercules is the embodiment of this, and these first six issues are so beautifully illustrated. And here's the great thing. You can get these pretty much on the cheap. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez is my first encounter with this man who I would go on to pretty much buy everything he would ever draw um, at DC Comics. And that's a lot. That is saying a lot. And, and trust me, those DC Comics presents, those specialty editions that he did with Superman Wonder Woman, he drew Batman versus Hulk. That was his. That was the one time he was able to really uh, bite his teeth into uh, into a Marvel character. Another giant treasury edition. I mean, Jose Garcia Lopez drew some really killer stuff because he was important. He was valuable. But around issue seven of Hercules Unbound, Gar- Jose Garcia leaves. I imagine they saw it. They saw six issues, five issues worth of this guy's stuff, and said, uh, "We need to put him with the, in the big leagues." It was six straight issues of Hercules Unbound, and they're like. Let's get this guy in the big leagues. He needs to be drawing like Superman and Batman, which he did, which he then pivoted to, which that, that's where the, I would I would follow his career. He is inked by Wally Wood, I assume, in the beginning because maybe, maybe even somebody as talented as Garcia Lopez um, was rough around the edges. And Wally Wood being as experienced as he did, Wally Wood inked Jack Kirby in the 60s. Wally Wood inking anyone was seen as a giant like, whoa, I got Wally Wood inked me. Wally Wood is the precursor for an artist and an embellisher um, one of the top of all time named Jerry Ordway. Uh, Wally Wood was a precursor to many fantastic, amazing styles. Uh, Bob Layton was someone very influenced by Wally Wood. Very clean brushstrokes, rendering. Um, he could take your scribbles and make them fantastic effortlessly. He just put his Wally Wood. Great name, right? Wally Wood? I mean, you can't make this up. He was seen also a, 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 a talent who, who died way too soon but did a bunch of stuff on... Uh, Master of Kung Fu, and also uh, inked some of my favorite issues of John Byrne and George Perez because he was an inker plus a penciler and inker just like Wally Wood named Gene Day, also influenced by Wally Wood. Huge, huge imprimatur uh, Wally Wood has if you Google him and you see his body of work. But each issue of Hercules Unbound was total badass, balls to the wall, um, Hercules uh, battling. Here I'm I'm looking at issue six where he battles... uh, Ares, God of War, they're just smashing their heads into the wall. Literally, rocks are crumbling as they smash each other's faces into the wall. They're swinging giant axes, giant um, balls and chains at each other. I just love this. It is, again, isolated, does not interact with any other components in the DC Universe. Hercules Unbound was a series contained within itself. My second close encounter would come with Hercules Unbound number seven. I had never heard of this guy before. His name is Walt Simonson. He was Definitely a departure stylistically from what we were getting from Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Uh, the way he would uh, lay out a, a figure, a figure and a page was slightly more dynamic. His proportions were different; they were slightly squattier, uh, a little thicker. Uh, basically, a precursor of what we were going to get on his, you know, seminal best celebrated run of Thor. After Stan and Jack, or alongside Stan and Jack, I'll, I'll put you, I'm going to tell you this. Walt Simonson's Thor run that lasted from like 1983 to like 1987 is one of the best runs on that character ever. And most people will like not even take up an argument with that. It's Stan and Jack, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby. Don't, don't give me that other stuff. Nobody did as many issues as Walt and Jack. Jack did 
the most, but then there's Walt. So if you give me like, oh, but this writer's tenure, yeah, but he didn't have the art and, and Walt was writing it and drawing it himself. And literally through almost four Thor movies, they keep tapping Walt Simonson, even when they tap another source, they're still tapping Walt Simonson. He's he's so hard to shake in regards to his overwhelming influence on Thor. And the guy he's up against in terms of influence is the guy that created Thor. That's how good Walt is. Well, he first came to us in another mythical god comic, Hercules Unbound. The first couple issues are, again, inked by Wally Wood, which, which adhered with the style that was set with Wally inking Garcia Lopez. And uh it, it, it kept it kept the 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 book stylistically sound, his first initial issues. Well then Bob Layton, who you would know later. So this is my first encounter, that's three. Bob Layton, this is the first time I encountered a guy that would really be a seminal influence on not only, this is funny, Iron Man, introducing Scott Lang, the Ant-Man that you see depicted by Paul Rudd, but also later Bob Layton would write pencil and ink and they were acclaimed and bestsellers super commercial super popular his own hercules series taking the marvel superhero the marvel version of hercules to all new heights well he started inking walt simonson bob layton was inking uh walt simonson as of hercules unbound number nine and it's a cool match walt wally wood leaves the book after eight issues inking walt simonson for two bob layton comes on we get to see kind of their unique pairing i wouldn't normally put Bob Layton and, and and Walt Simonson together, but it's pretty artwork. It's clean, it's pretty, it's crisp. Again, Walt draws great bulky action figures, great gestures, great action. Um, again, everything about this series is balls to the walls. It continues through issue 10. Walt is starting to pencil and ink the covers, though. Walt starts penciling and inking the covers to Hercules, uh, which which to me is a really nice departure on, on issue 10. And then if you if you glance back at the letters pages, letters pages were really fun back then. Um, <clears throat> and and they, and they would just keep they, they just kept promising how much more you were going to get of of uh, you know of of this character that you're digging. And they said, you know, Wally Wood is in in, in, in the letters department. They give you an announcement: Wally Wood is no longer inking everybody's favorite mythic hero. Wally has moved on to the pages of All-Star Comics, where for the first time in too long, he is both penciling and inking again. Um, We've gotten one of Wally Wood's protégés, Bob Layton, to step in and take his place. So again, Bob Layton, one one of the people in influence. So the letters page were giving us all this great stuff. Well, issue 11, the cover of Hercules Unbound, he is no longer bare-chested. He is no longer just rocking that skirt. Walt Simonson has designed an all-new look for Hercules. He has giant, wait for it, you're not going to believe I'm saying this, giant shoulder pads. He has given giant shoulder pads to Hercules. He has given him a frontispiece, a, a breastplate of armor that extends down to his waist that now connects to that gold belt and then that gladiator skirt. He has given him bigger gauntlets and bigger gauntlets on his you know, th- uh, uh, calves down to his ankles. The splash page of Hercules 11 is like him posing in front of a mirror, except there is no mirror, but it's that kind of pose. He's kind of very satisfied with himself, one leg up, leaning up against a surface, and it's set, and 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 there's a character on the back says it looks sensational, my friend. Looking, commenting about his look, and Hercules is looking at us. I'm going to tell you right now, Walt Simonson is penciling and inking Hercules Unbound 
11 and 12, you are getting the greatest glimpse of what you're about to see a couple years later, a few years later in Thor right here. The guy says, that incredible ore you fused together with your strength produced a brand new metal. So your armor is impervious to just about anything. So now we're not bare-chested Hercules guy anymore, man. We're fully armored with shoulder pads and 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 supersized gauntlets. And this is uh, you've you've heard me um, in the Stephen King episode where Walt Simonson adapted Lawnmower Man, uh, Thor. You've just heard me praise him again and again and again. He is an amazing artist with a very unique style, very influenced by a, an artist named Toppy T O P P I. Look him up. Sergio Topi, Topi, however you say it. And you can see that influence start to break through here. Walt penciling and inking himself is is super dynamic. The 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 his his art goes from being rounded by Wally Wood and Bob Layton to the very familiar, sharp, more edgy, more angular uh look that Walt Simonson became, you know, famous for, his signature look. And it all starts here. And at the end of issue eleven. Hercules has battled through, uh, gone underwater, gone into the caverns, and he has encountered the anti-gods. And it, it ends with a three-quarter splash page of him against this crazy-eyed anti-gods. But again, he puts his armor through the, uh, through through the, uh, he he puts his armor through the paces here in this first issue. And again, we're excited. And I remember as a kid going, I really dig this look. I like how he looks. Hercules unbound in this cover with him standing there about to battle this giant beast. Uh, Again, pencil and ink by Walt Simonson. It says, now, the secret that can destroy the man-god. Hercules Unbound was just, I felt like it was finding its voice. It was picking up. Now, Jerry Conway is no longer uh, uh, providing the stories. It's moved to David Michelini, who gave you one of your favorite Amazing Spider-Man runs. And as well, it is now uh, being written by a gentleman who did a whole bunch of Superman stories called uh, Carrie Bates. But um, Walt is penciling and inking, and it is fantastic. So issue 12 happens, and it is the best fight scene ever. Walt Simonson, so again, a series that Hercules loved him, loved the gods, loved Hercules, however I could get him, when I got him, on after-school movies, weekend movies. Again, Hercules was, uh, you know, there had already been multiple movies. He was like Sinbad. Look up Sinbad, Sinbad the Sailor, Sinbad, you know. Uh, there was a bunch of Sinbad stuff when I was growing up, and there was a bunch of Hercules stuff. So DC decided, we'll do Hercules too. He's, He's, you know... He's part of the public domain. He's part of mythology. This Walt Simonson, Hercules Unbound, if you can only buy one, buy this one. It was reprinted in one um, Walt Simonson uh, edition that DC did in the in the 80s, uh, celebrating Walt when he was getting a claim on Thor. They compiled all his early DC work. But these images are splashy. They're action-packed. Again, they're that angular, very specific style of rendering that Walt Simonson came known for. He is battling the anti-gods in this very complicated um, armor. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, this armor is very intricate that he drew. It's not um, just basic, but this issue is so extremely beautifully illustrated. It's dynamic. Um, it was a kind of energy that you really weren't getting from DC Comics at the time. What year was it, Rob? It was, we are still, we are just at the beginning of 1977. So this bad boy launched at the end of 75, goes to the very first early month of 1977. Great comic, Totally dig it. At the end, he and um, his, his girl that he's wandering through the apocalypse with, who he is saving uh, from Big Ben as it collapses in the future, he and Jennifer are wandering off through the forest, and then you turn to the uh, 
the news again, where I was getting uh, to, to, to the letters page where I was getting so much news and in bold italics by now, regular readers of Hercules unbound know that this issue marks the final chapter in the Hercules saga. The reason for this is the same as always sales. We cannot continue to publish a comic book that doesn't sell even one with such a large fan following as Hercules unbound. In appreciation of your of your support, we have dedicated the final letters column to your comments without editorial interruption. I was very sad that day. Hercules got a new costume and he only lasted two issues and it wasn't enough to rally. It wasn't enough to rally support to save Hercules Unbound. But the significance of Hercules Unbound is DC's version of a very storied mythological legendary character. Um The incredible talents of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Walt Simonson, Wally Wood, Bob Layton. This thing is packed. You're going to get it cheap. You're going to be able to, I, I looked up before I came on here, you can get these collections dirt cheap. They are worth it. They are beautiful. If you want lush, beautiful, drawn men, women, figure drawing, faces, dynamics, uh, Jose Luis Gar- Garcia Lopez, blast this thing out of control. Beautiful, classic, legendary inks by an absolute Hall of Famer, Wally Wood, who died way too soon. Then the gauntlet is picked up by Walt Simonson, joined by Bob, Bob Layton, and then ended ultimately with his own killer inks in these last two powerhouse issues. In, 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 in Hercules Unbound 11, the letters column, it does say, this issue's mail of myth uh, must begin on a sad note. Uh, allow us to explain that word has come down from on high that uh, the next issue of Hercules Unbound 12 will be our last. Of course, the reason for that is the same as always, poor sales. Exactly what they said in issue 12. So again, however, Hercules Unbound does not necessarily have to remain dead if sales pick up, which that never happened. Anyway, Hercules Unbound, first encounter. I did not encounter Walt Simonson on Alien, his his adaptation of Alien or Lawnmower Man or his Battlestar Galactica work or his legend, his his later Star Wars work, and certainly I was a full fledged Walt Simonson fan when Beta Ray Bill rocked Thor to its core and he began his years long, uh, I- incredibly impactful run on a a legendary Marvel character that he only seemed to enhance. Hercules Unbound, grab them! They're my first encounter with two seminal. Seminal talents in Jose Luis Garcia Lopez and Walt Simonson, both 1975, 1976, 1977 publications of Hercules Unbound. It's 12 issues. It's a banger. I can't recommend it higher. And it serves again as my first encounter to these characters where your maybe yours was when Walt Simonson was doing Fantastic Four, or maybe it was Star Slammers. They're, they're, are so many different bodies of work along along, you know, the road of someone's career. And for many people, they encountered George Perez first on the Teen Titans. They never got to know him in those five, six years that he was blowing all of us away on the Avengers and Fantastic Four and his seminal X-Men annual to this day, which people argue is actually the best depiction of that era's um X-Men. I had an art dealer who I was getting pages from from the annual. And he's like, I don't care what anybody says. This one George Perez issue is better than the entire John Byrne. And you know what? This is like just November. I'm, I'm not going back very far. I'm going back November 2022 when an art dealer is just, and like you're you're partially singing to the choir, but I'm still on the John Byrne side of the ledger because George did this one annual. It was great, but it wasn't, you know, three, four years worth of work. But bottom line, where we encounter artists matter 
And I was able to encounter these two gentlemen, these two seminal talents early on, and it has always hung with me. And we're going to do more first encounters in the episodes to come. And feel free to tell me where you first encountered some of your favorite talents. So, man, that was fun. I, I really enjoyed sharing my, my first encounters with some, some pretty big, big, gigantic talents. And I love talking about the current uh, state of comic books. I think this summer there's going to be some really, really fun stuff that I uh, I think is going to excite a lot of us. There's, there's some really promising new titles and there's some promising new events. I got to tell you, in June, in, in just, a, I mean, it's going to be here in, a, in, in an instant. We're about to leave March and enter April 2023. In June 2023, uh, Deadpool Batter Blood comes comes out. It, it, it arrives at your stores. I wrote it and and drew it and had a blast doing it. And and I really tried to uh, just always just, just push the envelope. A uh, lot of movement, a lot of action, a lot of intrigue, a lot of drama, a lot of fun. Huge premium on on fun, whether it's laying out the pages and the breakdowns and the gestures uh, or the character interactions, huge breakdown on fun. You're going to have to tell your retailer you want that book. Get ready for it. I am going to be out there on all my different platforms pushing Deadpool Batter Blood as, as fast as I can. First issue has uh, Wolverine. It has Cable. Uh, it, it is the return of Thumper, my uh, my seminal villain from the best-selling uh, Deadpool Bad Blood. Did you know that, that the Deadpool Bad Blood, a $25 Graphic novel, hardcover, is the only time Deadpool charted number one. That's true. That's a historic fact. Mark it down. But we're bringing you the sequel, and I cannot wait for you to experience it. It's going to be in stores in June, and uh, I'm 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 just into issue number four. So so the the June July August, I'm, I'm I am as I record this doing the September issue, and and so so this book is going to roll. Excited for for it to land in your hands. Tell your retailer you want it. Make sure they know that you uh, have an intention of grabbing it. It's got a couple covers, maybe three, four covers on the first issue. So so check that out. Uh, hunt those down and and good luck. And, and thank you, as always, for your support. Generally, at the end of every episode, I share with you the different epic, amazing reviews that you guys leave for me across all the different platforms supporting the show. I learned early on how important these... Uh, these these reviews are because they help uh, give a higher profile. They help basically get the word out. It's <clears throat> it is absolutely a form of promotion when you are able to um, to to share uh, the enthusiasm that you have for any given podcast. In this specific instance, Rob Observations, and I am so thankful for the great reviews and the great shares that you give uh, Rob Observations. I had, I had a couple I was going to share that I'll bump to the next episode because. On Friday at WonderCon, which we've already mentioned this episode, which was takes place right near uh, Disneyland in Anaheim. The thing I love about WonderCon, I love the corridor uh, that exists between uh, the, the the Hilton and between the Marriott, leading right into the Great Con- Anaheim Convention Center that I've been going to since I was a kid for various different functions. And uh, the corridor has become this uh, place, this island where they put, you know, 15, 16 food trucks and everybody swarms and grabs the different food trucks. And I was among them. And it's one of the reasons I got to uh WonderCon when I did, so I could get uh 
a, a great meal off one of those food trucks. I'm a huge foodie. I used to follow them regularly and drag the kids in the car on Tuesdays and Thursdays and and, and Friday nights when they would gather uh, all over Orange County. I don't know. A lot of these food trucks uh, became standalone, you know, pop-up restaurants, long-term restaurants with big leases. So, so I mean, it's just not something that we encounter anymore. But at WonderCon, man, I encountered it and I was there and I was excited. So we parked our car at the Marriott uh, where, where we had a room and again, arriving there to go to my son's panel at five o'clock for Wolfpack, the the show on Paramount Plus that you most definitely should be watching. I'm going to tell you right now, Wolfpack is like the new mutants. It's like, it's like an X-Men show, kids with superpowers and uh, it, it's beyond werewolves. Okay. It's, it's, it's not Teen Wolf. It goes beyond that. They have superpowers. It's a shared experience. It's very much like a great Marvel comic from the seventies and the eighties. I again, highly recommend. So anyway, plug, plug, plug. Uh, I am in the Marriott. We are, that's where we are meeting uh, my son's publicist and he's giving us our badges so that we can go in and see the panel. And we get the stuff and then I run off to the restroom. I come back and my wife and my son's publicist are talking to a really tall guy, really tall, jacked, ripped. Um, and as I approach, I recognize him and, and his name is Justin Harder. Justin, you would know Justin. He, um, signs a lot of his work, Klaus, like, like Santa Claus, but I call him Klaus. Maybe he's called Klaus. I've never actually answered him on, on Instagram. Give him a follow. He's Klaus Studio, C-L-A-U-S-S-T-U-D-I-O-S. Now it, it may be Klaus Studios. He has an incredibly compelling style of personal drawing uh, that, that, that he does. And uh, he has a design studio and he's an amazing, not only illustrator, but designer and works for all manner of different uh, television shows, movie campaigns. The place that you would know Justin the most is he did the after credits for the first Deadpool, 2016's Deadpool. Those brilliant after credits and his art is also in Deadpool too. He's featured there. They wanted to stick with that same stylistic interpretation. But Deadpool on a horse with a rainbow, the skinny little Deadpool. Again, go to the Deadpool after credits. They use his art on um, steelbooks and special editions of the of the DVD. Justin's Deadpool is fantastic. All of his renditions are fantastic. He's an incredible artist, an incredible uh, designer. Works all the time. I used to see him more. He used to live in Southern California. He has since moved to Texas, raising his family, doing great. So we were catching up, and the first thing Justin said is, Rob, and again, I haven't seen him for many years, and Justin looked great, really just excited, coming off the floor of WonderCon, you know, going to the Marriott, maybe going to his room before he goes back. And he said, Rob, I got to tell you, I love your podcast. You're in my ears all the time, in my earbuds. So he said, talking to you right now, it's funny because I'm hearing your voice. And I got to tell you guys, truth be told, I was just floored, absolutely floored, as I am every time you guys bring it up. Uh, this podcast has become, uh, something that I, I do out of enthusiasm. Uh, as you know, it's not monetized in any way, shape or form. It is just something I put out there to share and it has, you know, taken on its own life. You guys, you guys, uh, you know, have, have, have shared with me that you have learned some stuff, which I'm very touched by. Um, that you, that you get transported back to some of these times from interviews and publications past and again, it's just very thrilling. But I, I, so I shared to Justin, I shared this. I said, man, you don't know how much I needed to hear that because every time I come to the, up to the microphone, as I am now, every time I come up to the microphone, uh, I figure like, this is my last show. I don't have anything else in me. Uh, I, I don't have any more topics. 
and uh, it does. It gets it gets hard because you go. You, you, you while I revisit some themes, I try and keep them fresh as much as I possibly can. And Justin's like, Rob, no, come on. Yeah, I, 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 you know, he just again shared his enthusiasm. He goes, come on, man, it's great. No, you, 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 you can't, you can't quit. And uh, you know, Justin's somebody who I obviously have tremendous respect and admiration for, and that enthusiasm carried me through the weekend all the way to this episode. And so I just want to <clears throat> give you guys like a, a real life, uh, a review that I wasn't expecting waiting in the Marriott, picking our tickets up to go to my son's panel. I didn't expect to see Justin. I didn't see the first thing that he would mention would be the enthusiasm. And Justin's obviously a very lively, um, very gregarious personality, bigger, larger than life. So his expressions, his, you know, eyes and the, the way he was um, excited about the show really touched me. And it made me realize I, I need to keep, uh, keep, keep putting these out. Eventually the well is going to run dry. <laughs> um, again, we need the comics industry to kind of get a little more spicy. I don't do the movie and t- TV stuff as much. Cause like I've told you, you guys got a bunch of, I'm going to tell it right now, bad intelligence out there. And we're going to get to that in, in future ep- episodes. Uh, I have been watching some of these YouTubes lately and these people just simply just say stuff that is categorically like historically inaccurate. Like you can just go that actor didn't star in that movie that you're talking about that you won't get off that point. Um, that actress didn't star in that. Like, like they just say stuff and it's so crazy, but we're going to get down to the warping of history in, 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 in early, I'm sorry, in future episodes. If I am still coming up to this mic and rocking it, Justin, you made my day. Thank you for the kind compliments about the the podcast and the enthusiasm. And my wife was like, wow, people really like the podcast. So it was really nice. You, you were very kind to me, you and your friends. And I just wanted to say thank you. And that is, uh, the, the, the review, uh, the, the positive five-star review that I got, uh, in person this week. And again, as I walked through WonderCon just that afternoon, a lot of people mentioned the podcast. I'm so excited that you guys are listening. I'm so, I'm trying so hard to keep it fresh and to keep digging and giving you stuff, um, notable uh, occurrences, feuds, historical context that maybe you didn't know existed. So thank you. I am all over social media. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld. R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. By the time that I record this, I think that blue check is gone. Uh, They're doing some weird stuff, so who cares? It's just at Robert Liefeld. You'll see it's me uh, by my interactions, by the way I, 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 you know, exchange with people. There's a lot of phony Rob Liefeld accounts, but I am at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. Love to talk to you. Uh, I love our back and forth, the messages, the DMs, the replies. Thank you so much for following me. I will look for you on Twitter at Robert Liefeld on Instagram where you can find Justin Harder at Klaus Studios, as I already spelled out. It's or Claus, C-L-A-U-S-S, you know, Studios, T-U-D-I-O-S. Find Justin, follow him. He's great. His art is amazing. Works with movie studios, musicians, uh, you know, sneaker brands, just amazing talent. On Instagram, I'm Rob Liefeld, just the straight R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, Rob Liefeld. Uh, I, st- I have a blue check there that that that, that gives me that uh, that that uh, identification. It's, it's like a little badge that says you're not talking to the phony. I appreciate it, but that's probably going to be gone eventually too. So at Rob Liefeld, it is my photo dump of my family, my kids, what I'm eating, what I'm drawing, what I'm watching, what I'm doing. It's it's a little bit of a again my 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 one of my kids says, Dad, your your Instagram is so cringe. Okay, no argument, but that's where you can find the cringe is at Rob Liefeld. <clears throat> Over on Instagram, on Facebook, I have a group. 
Uh, oh, and, and on Instagram, I read your messages, your DMs, again, your replies. Thank you so very much. Thanks for following me over there. On Facebook, I have a group. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. I would love for you to join us and join the conversations going on over there. We get a lot more um, sharing and, and conversational and, and go back and forth on topics than, than we were able to do here, which is obviously just me talking into a microphone. So join me over at Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Either myself or a gentleman tam- named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, will click you through. That's how you know you're in the right place. Uh, come join all the fun uh, fun that we're having over on the Rob Life of Marvel Extreme and Beyond group. It's You, you share comics. There's art co- contests. Uh, really fun place. Come hang out with us. We'd love to see you there. I am on Whatnot, this app. I have been on it the past several months. I, I, will, I will not be on it forever. I, I've kind of got an end date circled where I will be leaving the Whatnot ad. I just don't do everything you know forever. It's just like I haven't been touring. I haven't been anywhere uh, in seven months. I don't have plans to do any conventions this year other than shopping, just like I did at WonderCon when I'm, when I'm just walking around and shopping. I'm not doing conventions right now, but you can find me. It's kind of a virtual con. Uh, generally twice a week on this Whatnot app, follow me at Rob Liefeld. You'll get notifications when I'm coming up for my latest shows. If you follow me, you'll be be told that I'm having a show on Wednesday or I'm having a show on Saturday. What I do on those shows is I sign, uh, I share, sign comic books, Funko Pops, toys, artwork for you guys to interact with, uh, to, to, to bid on, to purchase. Uh, it's, it's really fun. Uh, I talk, it's me right into the camera for three, three hours. So please join me over there. Um, I, 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 <laughs> sometimes we, we have some, uh, some fun trolls that, that are quickly removed. I, I am so so quick on the remove block hammer. Um, so they don't generally get but one fun statement to throw at us. But otherwise, I have this great interaction with all of you and all your enthusiasm. And we have a great time on the WhatNot app. Follow me at Rob Liefeld where you can get my uh, signed comics, toys, Funko Pops, and artwork. Guys, is that everything? I think it is. Okay, here's the deal. Your mental, emotional, physical, and uh, spiritual condition is always a priority to me it's uh you know i'm 55 i've raised three adult kids it's uh it it can be it can be a lot the grind you know i choose to try and fill up a paper from top left and bottom right every day and it's a grind and and uh and life's a grind and and uh all all the different uh things that we're chasing the workplace uh stuff with our family our kids uh it, it can really get it can really be a lot and I am out there and I'm telling you take some time for yourself escape escape into a comic book a novel a tv show a movie bring some great food along uh, it doesn't have to be healthy food it's certainly not for me uh, Reese's big cups are not yet on the um nutritional you know table uh even though they should be that's my pick me up but get a great pizza burger hot dog fried chicken sandwich uh lasagna you know uh spaghetti, whatever's your thing. Enjoy it with friends, have candy, have dessert, and and make sure that you are uh, ingesting some some cool culture on top of all of it because we need that escape, those cheap moments to face the next day, the next hurdle, the next challenge. So I am rooting for you. I am looking out for you. Yes, I just described a, a, a diet, a subtle diet of comic books and junk food and tried to hide it under this other auspices. You caught me. You absolutely caught me, but I am rooting for you. I am, I am hoping that you are going to do your very best today. Uh, hang in there. Here's the deal. Let's make a pact. I'm going to I'm gonna stay here. I'm not going to leave the blue mic. I'm going to keep recording. We'll have another episode. Come back 
and meet me here. I, I will be waiting because we will most certainly, absolutely, indefinitely talk again real soon.